Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. (laughs) That's right. That's good enough. (laughs) Oh boy. Let's dive in. Are you open to ayahuasca? My husband and my father had opinions on this. They're both starring in this episode. I even made my husband do the intro. Welcome to the Better Call Daddy's show. Introducing Luke Williams. He and I are similar in that we're both a work in progress. And what better approach to go through the journey of fixing yourself, the never-ending journey, the path, than psychedelics and guided ayahuasca. Not something I recommend doing alone. And Luke Williams is very wise and that he found a renowned shaman and someone to work with him afterwards with the shaman to guide him through the psychedelic experience and to help him recall and reflect upon what he learned from the intensity. That intensity and that insight and that mind expansion then can be taken into his personal life, into his relationships, emotional, physical, mental, and even in innovation and leadership with his business. Enjoy. Welcome to the Better Call Daddy show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. One thing that jumps out here is that you said you saw yourself die. Let's talk about that. So right to the worst part of ayahuasca. uh, (laughs) A lot of times when people talk about ayahuasca, they talk about having an ego death. So I knew that there would be some sort of dark and gloomy experience, but I was not prepared when it happened to me. So it was the third ceremony out of the four ceremonies during the week that I was at the retreat. So the third ceremony started off like the others. It was happy and calm, saw a lot of visions and cartoon-esque backgrounds. It's just a lot of fun. And then all of a sudden, things started to go dark. And I saw the worst things in humanity. I saw like a blimp crashing. I saw terrorists. I saw just the worst things. And then I noticed myself in like the third person, I was looking down on myself in a hospital room and I knew it was in Peru. The signs were in Spanish, the nurses and the doctors were all speaking Spanish and it was a hospital wall and there was a bed in the middle of the room and I could see myself just there still. And I just started to feel this fear and uncertainty and it was, I was just ridden with this anxious feeling. And then all of a sudden went dark and I died. And it was just frightening, like nothing I've ever experienced. It was death and it was cold. And I remember just shaking, but it wasn't me shaking. It was like my body and spirit were just like shaking. And I was just freezing and terrified. And then it started to get a little bit warmer and there was this glow like around me. And I felt like the spirit sort of reach out to me and whatever, whatever you believe God is, that's what it was for me. It was this introduction and it was this embrace and it was this, Luke, everything is going to be okay. Everything is okay. And it was just this invitation to, to be there. And then it just sort of ended. And then it went back to this fun and light spirited experience, but Absolutely. It was a cold and frightening death 
and it was the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced. Were you spiritual at all before this? No, not at all. I did not grow up with religion. My grandparents and some of my family are, are Catholic, but I didn't have a religious or a spiritual upbringing. So I really hadn't had any experiences or introduction into any type of spiritual experience. Were you trying to accomplish that at all? No, I was not. I was not. That's a really good question. I was not. So when I was on my way to Peru, I had rehearsed what my intentions were. I had to think about what am I going to do very specifically. And it was important for me to be as specific as possible. So I repeated my intentions to myself and I wrote them down and I rehearsed them. And they didn't change between the time that I left for Lima and the time I was in front of the shaman talking about my intention. And my intention was to find out why am I on this planet and what am I supposed to do? That's what I went there to find out. It had nothing to do with anything spiritual or anything like that. It was much more of an internal quest uh, and about self-discovery, self-confidence, self-esteem. It was all really internal for me. So I didn't expect nor did I seek to find anything spiritual. Can you tell me about the plant, the ayahuasca plant? Yeah, so it's a tree that is found in the Amazon. They take uh, two parts of the tree. They take the leaves, which contain the, the DMT, and then they take part of the branches. And that is the uh, MOAI. So it's the inhibitor that prevents you from metabolizing the DMT. So in order to take it or drink it like a tea, you have to be able to stop the metabolism of the DMT. So those two parts combined create some uh, additional hallucinogens as well. So the DMT is in the leaf and then some of the other parts of the plant brewed together over hours and hours, create a tea that they call ayahuasca. Are there any health risks to taking it? So there are people that die. <laughs> yes, the short answer is yes. However, all of the deaths that I researched or learned about were a result of other things happening. So somebody who already had psychosis or had uh, medication they were taking or were on some other types of drugs, in particular street drugs. So there are some things that are higher risk. So before experiencing ayahuasca, it's important to check what kinds of medication you're on. If you're on an SSRI, you can get elevated serotonin, which can create some really dangerous medical issues for you. If you have previous issues with psychosis or psychotic breaks, then it puts put you in a position where you're uh, at risk to experience those things. People have died from things like drinking too much water, while experiencing the plant. But for the most part, bad things happening are extremely rare. Thousands of people experience it every year, and, and it's really hard to find more than a few cases where anything went bad. So it's important that people research where they're going. You know, you don't want to just show up in Iquitos and find the first shaman that will talk to you. That's just a recipe for a disaster. It's extremely difficult and, and uh, challenging and dangerous for women who travel alone and try to experience. There are documented cases of, of rape and brutality from shaman. So it's really important that people research what they're getting into and, and not just going there and winging it. Can you talk a little bit more about your preparation? Because you didn't exactly wing it. I did whatever the opposite of winging it is. So I knew in March, I would say in March of 2019, I knew that I was going to experience ayahuasca. So I spent a lot of time researching 
where I wanted to go. And I knew pretty quickly that I wanted to go to the Amazon and I knew pretty quickly that I wanted to go to a keto. So from there, I wanted to make sure it was authentic experience and that it was a safe experience. I researched the different centers that offered the experience. Uh, so there was the, the planning of where to go and, and who I wanted to interact with. So there was that piece. The more difficult piece, which to me was, was as important, if not more important, was the physical preparation and the, the sacrifice for the plant and for mother ayahuasca, as, as it's often called. And that preparation includes things like dieta, which is essentially a, a, a diet that prepares one for ayahuasca, sort of, sort of a pre-cleanse. So that includes limiting salt, limiting sugar, and even limiting things like sex and violence and social media. So I abstained for quite a while. I changed my diet for months leading up to the experience. I practiced Spanish more than I was previous to that. So I, I really took it very seriously from a, a dietary perspective, from a, a, a mental preparedness perspective, and also just researching the heck out of uh, what I was getting into. Where did you research? <laughs> So I looked all over the internet. I found Reddit to be a mixed resource. There were a lot of really good bits and pieces of information, bits and pieces of information on Reddit, which led me down paths for more information. And there was also just a lot of craziness that was happening on, on Reddit. But I found Reddit to be a, a good resource once you sort of filter and distill things down. And then I looked for documentaries online. There are a lot of people on YouTube, for example, to talk about their experiences. And, and I didn't want to get too far into what they experienced because I didn't want that to shape what I expected. I wanted to go in without any expectations. I wanted to go in with an intention, but not any expectations. I didn't want to be let down. I didn't want to try to force something to happen that wasn't naturally going to happen. So I think that's a very important element to not go in with expectations, but just go in with intentions. Do you think that there's a difference in doing it in Peru versus in the States? Absolutely. Yeah, I think the experience of being that far out of a comfort zone is important. I think that amount of sacrifice and being among the culture, I think is super important. And I, I think that had I just gone to Florida or Kentucky or some of these other places where the churches exist, I think it would have been more isolated around just the experience of ayahuasca and not about the journey of the entire experience. And for me, that was really important to learn about the culture, to learn about the people in the community, to have conversations, to experience the restaurants, to travel, all of these things to me was, was very important to experience as just the whole view of ayahuasca, not just as a psychedelic, but as an entire experience. What was it like when you stepped off the plane? Was it your first time going? It was my first time leaving the country. So yeah, I had never left the country. So I'm from Iowa originally. You know, I am a rural kid. I'd never done any psychedelics, no mushrooms, none of that. And here I was on a plane to Lima. Let me tell you this. So I left from Atlanta to Lima and I board the plane. I'm like the last one on the plane. So I'm, I'm on the plane. Within a few minutes of everybody on the plane, like some craziness breaks out in the back. And there's just some chatter and then it becomes louder chatter. And then there becomes a little bit of like yelling and arguing. I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? And then people have their cameras out and they're pointing to the back. I'm like, what in the hell is going on? Eventually they tell us to deboard the plane. So I'm off the plane and everybody's like, what in the hell is going on? So I'm off the plane. I just sat sort of in a corner of the airport 
And I thought to myself, I was like, I'm not supposed to be on this plane. Like, I'm just going to stay in the States. I'm not going. There is no way. And I found out from people talking that there was a gentleman in the back of the plane who was claiming that the passenger next to him had kidnapped him and was holding him hostage and was taking him to Peru to sell this guy. So this guy is freaking out and yelling. And I'm like, I'm not even supposed to be on this plane. I'm just going to go home. So I called my wife and I'm like, I, I'm not going to Peru. I'm just going to hang out in Atlanta for a couple of weeks and I'll, I'll see you later. And something in me just said, you know what, you, you've come this far. It'd be comfortable to stay home. You just need to go. So I got back on the plane with everybody else except for the one crazy guy. And there I was on the way to Lima. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. Was that guy getting trafficked? I have no idea. I have no idea. I know the police showed up and, you know, escorted him and somebody else off the plane. It was, it was quite the scene. That's wild. You definitely don't see that every day. No. Yeah, Lima's a really cool place, though. So I, I got to Lima, and again, I had never been out of the country, so I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. You know, I expected it to be like most cities, and in, in a lot of ways it is. It's like a New York or Detroit without any money. So I got a cab. I arrived at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning. That's, you know, middle of the night. I'm just trying to get to the hotel. The taxi picks me up, and we go through these back alleys. I was convinced that I was about to get murdered. So I'm in the back of this cab and I've got my phone out. And I'm filming everything because I'm just waiting for this dude just to turn around or stop the car and just murder this poor white kid from Iowa, right? So I'm just terrified. And then we pull up to the hotel after about a half hour ride. And then I get to this hotel and they don't speak any English. So no matter what anybody tells you, be prepared to speak Spanish. And certainly when you're into Quito's, but I get checked in and I go up to the hotel room and the lights don't turn on. I'm like, what in the hell is going on? These lights don't turn on. So I go back to the front desk and ask about the lights. And you have to have the key card inserted into the keyhole in order for the lights to work. And that was just this strange stuff. And then the other thing that was really strange to me, now other parts of the world do this, but I, I wasn't prepared for this, that in the toilets in Peru, uh, you cannot flush your toilet paper. So there's a small trash receptacle next to the toilets in order for you to dispose of the used toilet paper. Now, so I spent about a week and a half in, in Lima and I just, every day I just walked another block or two. And then by the third or fourth day, I was, you know, several blocks away from the hotel and I had gotten in a couple Ubers and I had, you know, explored just a little bit more and a little bit more, which to me was exactly the right way to do it. So there are a lot of really interesting parks, uh, historical City center was fantastic. The ceviche was incredible. Some of the best food I've ever eaten. It was a whole new world for me being in Peru. And then it only got more strange when I made my way from Lima over to Iquitos. The airline that I bought my ticket for from Lima to Iquitos, in the course of the time for me securing my ticket to the time I took my trip, the airline had gone bankrupt, had gone under, and had stopped servicing. So I go to the desk. I'm like, okay, here's my ticket, this airline, here's my confirmation number, all this stuff. And they're like, there is no airplane. Like, this doesn't exist. And of course, my limited Spanish and their limited English, we couldn't quite figure out what the hell we were saying to each other. What do you mean there's no plane? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. No, there's no plane company. Like, what do you mean there's no company on the plane? No, there is no airplane. This ticket doesn't even exist anymore. You can't even fly on this airline. So I had to find another airline and, and it was nuts. And I traveled alone. I'd asked a couple friends to go with me, I asked my brother to go with me, but nobody wanted 
<laughs> nobody wanted to go. So I was absolutely flying solo. But I'll tell you that that is what I would recommend anybody who's going to go to a Quitos or, or whether you're going to do ayahuasca in a Quitos or near Cusco. So wherever you're going to go, I, I would highly recommend going alone. So when I was in ceremony, there were a few couples that were there. There was one couple from Portugal, another couple from the UK. And what I would have been really concerned about had I been with a friend or a wife is being really concerned about the other person because the person that you're with is experiencing purging, they're vomiting, they're crying, they're screaming, they're yelling. And I would feel really concerned about the, the companion. I would probably ha would have had a much more distracted experience. So I would absolutely recommend that the people go alone. But who took care of you? So there's a facilitator there who spoke enough English. So the facilitator, you know, watches over the participants and, you know, the shaman certainly looks after participants more spiritually. So the shaman, if they notice a, a dark aura, a dark energy, they'll go over the person and, you know, they've got Icaros, which are these songs they sing, these chants they sing, and they use tobacco as a sort of a calming agent, or they'll use some citrus for, for calming agents. And they'll, you know, try to bring somebody out of a, a dark experience if somebody's having a, a really dark experience. So the shaman is there to help control that aura and that energy. And then the facilitators are there in case, you know, you need to help to go to the bathroom or you know, you're feeling concerned or scared. So there are facilitators that were there. Did you learn any new chants? That was it. <laughs> yeah. So you can go on SoundCloud and other places, I'm sure, and listen to these Icaros. They're very helpful for going to sleep. And they are from 20 minutes to hours long. And I'll tell you, when I was experiencing ayahuasca, there were times when I was just sitting there and just listening to these chants. And I'm just like pumping my fists and just enjoying it and just taking it all in and just really beautiful music. So it was beautiful. Sometimes minutes felt like hours and sometimes hours felt like minutes. Time was a really strange thing. This sort of spatial distancing was all weird. The visual effects were crazy. It was hilarious in some moments. It, this is very difficult to explain, but ayahuasca for me presented itself. And a lot of people say mother ayahuasca. So she presented herself not in the form of a, of a person, but very much just a spirit. So when I say that she talked to me or said jokes or told stories or asked me questions or answered questions. It wasn't that I heard a voice. It was that I just felt that I was being asked something or answered something. So I would ask Mother Ayahuasca a question and she would answer it. It wouldn't be her answering it. It'd be me just sort of answering myself. Or when I heard jokes, it wasn't actually words that were put together for a joke. It was a sense of humor that I felt and responded to with just this joyous laughter. Do you remember any of the questions that you asked Mother Ayahuasca? Yeah, I asked her repeatedly, why am I here? You know, what do you want me to do? Whenever I would go down sort of a dark path, I would ask her why. Like, I don't understand why I need to see that. I don't, I don't need to see these things. Nobody should see these things that I'm being forced to see. And she would just say, you need to. It wouldn't be an explanation, but just I needed to. It was intense, <laughs> very intense. And And one thing that that I committed to when I was there was that I would write a book about the experience because it is very difficult to talk about it and have it be understood. So I feel like if I put it on 
paper and write about it and sort of a, a technical narrative and also just my story about what happened and what I experienced. And this will be a nice resource for people who maybe haven't traveled a lot or who haven't experienced ayahuasca or other hallucinogens, I think could be a really interesting resource. And because there's nothing like that that I could find. I mean, I looked for it. I looked for books and, and answers on, you know, what to eat and, you know, what to expect. And, you know, even though I didn't really want expectations, part of me was really curious about what I was getting into. And tell me how your curiosity about ayahuasca began. So I had heard about DMT from Joe Rogan. So that got my interest peaked. And I, you know, was just curious about the drug. And I had begun reading about the benefits for people who deal with anxiety and depression and uncertainty and doubt and a lot of other issues. And I, I had had a pretty rough 2018 and a pretty rough 2019, including you know, my cousin getting murdered and just some other really good friend of mine who, who died way too young. So I had a really rough time. And I was also professionally in a place where I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Things were just really, really tough. And I'd written a book a couple of years ago and I'd sort of begun to sort out anxiety, but I hadn't really hit it head on. And I knew that this would provide me an opportunity. Ayahuasca would provide me an opportunity to really hit that stuff head on and to learn about why that's affecting me. Like what, what is it inside myself that is affecting my relationship with friends and family and with myself, which is probably the most important thing. What's, what's affecting my relationship with myself and why don't I appreciate and love myself in a way that I should. And did you receive answers? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. So on the first night I asked, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? And that was answered really quickly that I'm here to appreciate the small things and that, you know, and she showed me these, these images of my daughters growing up and images of my wife and me together and images of my family, images of my house, images of my dogs, these images of these small things that collectively are really big, but individually really small. So she showed me all these small things and I knew what she was saying was that I need to appreciate all of these things that I already have and stop worrying about all this shit that I could have or that I think I want to have. That was a humongous lesson for me. And then the other thing was that I'm on this earth to help entrepreneurs and to help mentor and to help coach other people and not not for money, right? Like if money happens, that's cool and everything. But I came out of there with clarity that that's exactly what I'm on the surf to do is to help other people. And not everybody that was in the ceremony had the same outcomes. I mean, some people felt they didn't have anything that they accomplished or any new clarity. About I would say half of us did and the other half just didn't. They experienced something, but it wasn't nearly as clear. And another interesting thing that, that I experienced was, was really what I didn't experience. So a lot of people experience purging, which is you know, vomiting and this diarrhea that is ridiculous. And everybody in the ceremony, and I didn't, I was sweating and crying and laughing and purging in that way, but I didn't have the traditional purge that other people had. And I asked the shaman, why didn't I experience that? Did I do it wrong? Did I not clear my body the right way? Am I not ready? What is the reason? And, and he said, you know, we saw you and we saw your energy and your aura. And it was all very balanced. And you had a very healthy relationship with Mother Ayahuasca. Your energy 
your chakras are all aligned and centered. So you just didn't need to do that. You didn't need to purge. You didn't have the blockage other people had. You were ready for that relationship when you got here. The people who didn't experience what you experienced, mm -hmm. do you think that they will attempt to do it again? Yeah, I think so. I think it was very clear the people who did not experience the same thing that they felt like they missed something. I would say that most of the people that were there will, will return. My husband okay. has lived on a mountain where people open up about their experiences and do a lot of sharing. And maybe he can delve a little bit deeper into what some of those stories were and then ask you the questions he has about uh, interacting with a shaman. Okay, cool. So this is Will. Hey, Will. My closest experience to something like this was uh, in New Mexico with a Native American church meeting, mm. which is structured. You know, there's a mm. ceremony and there's a certain time mm -hmm. that you're, you're allowed to get up and if you need to get up and the other times that you respect and you sit there. Is the ayahuasca ceremony the same? So the center that, that I went to was pretty well structured, at least we knew the nights that we were going to experience ayahuasca. We knew the nights a shaman would be there and we knew the, the nights that we weren't going to. So I was there for seven days and four of those nights we had ceremony and they started roughly about the same time that we knew they would happen in the evening. So the day following this ceremony, we all shared as a group and we talked about what our intention was, those that wanted to. It was pretty well structured, but they also have this concept called jungle time, which you don't really wear a watch or care what time it is. You just sort of show up and people are there or you wait for them. I can definitely appreciate that. I, when I lived for two years in New Mexico, I didn't carry a watch around and I was familiar enough with fall, spring, winter, and summer when noon was based on the sun and what position mm -hmm. it would be based on the season and even got to the point at night looking at the stars, I knew what time it was. And that was only within two years. So the shaman, what they experience at a very young age is that once they're identified by their community as being a potential shaman, they are effectively thrown out of the community into the jungle and they have to survive on their own with very limited resource from a young age. We're talking seven, eight, nine years old, they're thrown into the jungle and they survive. And then, then they have to practice the craft for decades before they're even recognized as a medicinal shaman in the community. It's just amazing stuff, what they go through just to be able to have these ceremonies. How long were you in Peru for? Only for three weeks. The retreat was for the most part a week. I had arrived in Iquitos um, a few days before that just to sort of get in a good place for myself and be isolated and just sort of think through my intentions and be prepared. So there isn't a structured preparation uh, other than you know, the day you get there. And then afterward, I stayed in Iquito. Some people went off trying to do adventures, but for me, I wanted to just reflect and debrief. So we had debrief the day after uh, the ceremony, but I would encourage anybody who does it to spend time before and after uh, just thinking about it. And it's a very interesting phenomenon when you're when I left the ceremony went back into town noises were louder colors were different voices were strange and everything just looked and felt different and I think it's important to decompress after that experience it's just really 
mentally exhausting. Did someone coach you on this preparation? Well, what I hear about what you did, I mean, that's a great idea. And if I were to partake and go on this journey, I would definitely take that very seriously, mm -hmm. both, uh, you know, physical, mental, and spiritual cleansing. There's a lot of it online. Wherever you select to go for your ceremonies or for your experience, that place has a guideline of things that they ask that you do just to make the best experience possible. So I took that information and then I took some information from people that were on Reddit that sounded like they had a good experience and I wanted to try to replicate that type of experience. So I followed a lot of what they did and I wanted to be as, as authentic as possible for the whole thing. I don't think there are any hard and fast rules or certainly preferences that the shaman have. Uh, but for me, I wanted it to be as authentic as possible. So I went sort of to the extreme of, I'm just going to do it exactly textbook and use this as close as I can realistically get. I really do feel like that made a really big difference in my experience. I believe it. And I believe that you must have gotten a lot more from this because your intention going into it is so powerful. I, I read Michael Pollan's book. I believe it's called Change Your Mind. It's about psychedelic experiences and what I've listened to with various podcasts that he's been on, it's all about set and setting. And that yes. is not just set and setting that very moment. It is also your mental state leading up to it and physical state. And since you took that so seriously and were careful about it, I can only imagine that you reap the rewards from that. That's amazing. That's inspiring. It's, it's interesting because you were able to somehow measure your experience and get a grasp that it really helped. I think it was a combination of the conversations with the rest of the group, the conversations with facilitators, but a lot of it was just me reflecting in you know, my cabin by myself and just really thinking about what I had seen and what I had experienced and the conversations I had with Mother Ayahuasca that really helped me identify this clarity. And, this, and, and, and clarity, I don't know that I knew what it was before exactly, but clarity to me now is just, it's not so much narrow as I thought it, as I used to think of it as before. It's really much more expansive. Yeah, I, I came out of it with a really clear idea of who I am and, and why I'm here. And that's why I went. I didn't know what the hell I was even doing here. Like what I'm, I was floating. Now I certainly had goals and I had written a book about being productive and prioritizing time and aligning yourself with visions. I talked all that stuff, but I wasn't really experiencing the kind of focus and clarity that I, that I now know that I needed. And that's what I saw. And that's absolutely what ayahuasca delivered for me. That's amazing. And I'm not sure if Rinari asked you, but I'm curious is that you actively sought out that you wanted to go to the jungle in Peru and take ayahuasca. That was something that you actively went after it. It, it was, it's not something yeah. where you were seeking and then suddenly this appeared as an option you you decided you wanted to do this is that what it was so i mean i i'd certainly known that i had some issues with feeling of floating around and sort of this aimless feeling and i had also known that i struggled with some anxious feelings and anxiety and some other negative thoughts. So I knew that I, I had to fix that and I wasn't really sure how or you know how to even approach that. And then I had also heard about DMT on Joe Rogan's show and had begun to explore what that could mean for me as it related to anxiety. And then I had sort of gone into the YouTube 
you know, rabbit hole of DMT and ayahuasca. And then it all sort of converged on, okay, well, I need to fix this stuff about me. And oh, well, ayahuasca DMT could potentially be the way that I do that. So I just started reading more and talking to people more. And I realized that if I was going to do this, it had to be in Peru and it had to be in the jungle and it had to be as authentic of an experience as possible. That's amazing. Where did you first read or hear about this plant medicine? I don't recall exactly. I knew that on a couple of searches when I had heard Rogan talking about it, uh, he had mentioned ayahuasca. Then I saw some documentaries about ayahuasca, just became borderline obsessed with learning as much as I could. I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan too. I really appreciate that he's brought out so many ideas for people. Those ideas that aren't usually mainstream, but can really help someone. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm glad I did. And I would recommend anybody who's considering it to dig deeper and do it, but I would never do it again. Uh, it was the most frightening experience of my life. It was scary. It was horrifying, all kinds of adjectives. Uh, I, I never want to see that stuff again, but it was also the best experience, the most beautiful experience, the most spiritual experience that I've ever had. Well, thank you. It's great to meet you, Luke. Great to talk with you. Yeah, great to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say, I admire your pictures behind you. (laughs) All right, thank you. I am so excited. You got my husband on a podcast. Yes, that was fun. That was fun. (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely curious about it. That's cool. I, I love it, man. I remember when I was in that same position, just kind of curious and wondering if if I should do it. And there are a lot of questions. So yeah, I'm I'm happy to answer any questions he has along the way. And hopefully he decides to do it and if if it's right for him. Let's talk about what you have coming up in the future and what new insights have happened since your ayahuasca experience. So it became really clear to me that I'm here to help entrepreneurs. And so with that clarity, you know, I joined the nonprofit that helps veterans establish their businesses. So my day consists of having conversations with veterans about how I can help them start their business. I also am involved in four ventures currently, ranging from a a cannabis venture where we help match professional growers with home growers. uh, So the home growers can benefit from from cannabis or just learn about the plants and grow themselves. Also involved in nursing instruction platform. And then my largest project to date is a platform that I'm bringing founders of companies together with skilled contributors so that founders can have much less friction in starting their businesses. So that the platform will be out November of 2020 in our MVP. So we'll iterate from feedback from our beta users and we should be fully launched first part of 2021. My life is amazing. You know, I'm a wonderful wife and two daughters that are somehow brilliant despite my foolishness and absurdities. So two brilliant daughters, a wonderful wife, and just lucky. And you know, I get to work with entrepreneurs every day. I get to help them, you know, realize their dreams and get to build cool shit and do interesting shit. Like who could ask for anything better than that? Oh my God, yeah. you're awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story and yeah. being my husband's first interview. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a natural. Anything you want to ask my daddy? I would be really curious what he thinks about psychedelics in general and ayahuasca specifically. And if he's had any similar experience where he's gone to do that, something that far out of a comfort zone and what his experience was getting that far away from something that 
he was comfortable doing. I love that. And how can people connect with you? I'm horrible at Facebook. Twitter is probably the best for me. Luke Williams, 712. So the number 712. Shouts to Iowa for the area code. I'm on LinkedIn too, but there are a bunch of Luke Williams. So I'm the good looking one. So find that one. I'm pretty active there. I'm pretty easy to find. I wrote a book. So it's called Live 20, Experiencing a Focused Life. So you can find me on Amazon. And if you like to read, you can check that out. It's a quick book. Love it. Thank you so much for having me on. This is a lot of fun. I, I appreciate it. You made my day. Oh, you made mine. This is the best thing that I've done all day. Aw, thank you so much. Oh boy, let's go to Grandpa. This is the story with Luke, and it looks like Will got into the action. Oh yeah, what'd you think of that? Well, I think he was able to relate. I think that this is not unusual. Everybody on Earth asks themselves the same question at some point in their lives. What am I doing here? Even my grandfather, just before he passed away, who had been here 96 years, he says, you know, I've lived 96 years and I still don't know why I'm here. The truth of the matter is, is that we have all different philosophies of what we're supposed to do with our lives and it can change throughout the years. And we're only here for a drop in time, whether it's 50 years, 75 years, 100 years, 120 years. It goes so fast that we're not even sure if we have accomplished everything that we're supposed to or come up with this complicated answer of what people are really supposed to do. And then, of course, my grandfather, being very religious, was always very close to God and to scripture and that we are able to make some type of sense of it if we have some direction. So the funny part is, is that we're a very primitive being and to really figure out all the complications of life and really understanding Everything that God has put in front of us is sometimes beyond our capability. And we hope to to be able to develop and to add to, as we've talked before, to our wisdom rating. But it takes time and a lot of experiences and making a lot of different choices in our life so that we can base it on something. Doing a lot of reading, do a lot of soul searching, talking to a lot of people. These are all helpful tools in coming up with a realization of what we're good at and finding our quest. Uh, I watched this show on TV. It's called uh, Naked and Afraid, where two people, a man and a woman, they go out into some part of the world where they have to overcome all the elements where they're given one thing or two things, and they have to try to survive for 21 days out in the wilderness like a caveman and a cavewoman. It is so difficult to overcome the environment without having real tools, and you have to build yourself a shelter, and you got to find food, and the energy to be able to survive. And isn't what this trip is about. You know, when I was 21, a couple of the guys wanted to treat me to all the different drinks that you can have. And wow, you bought me a drink? I'll try one of those. I'll try one of these. I'll try one of those. I'll try one of these. I I must have had 21 different types of drinks. And guess what happened? When I got home, I was trying to get up the steps and I got dizzy and I could hardly see. And I started vomiting all the way up the stairs to the bathroom because I thought I was going to die. It was unbelievable how my body then reacted to all these mixed drinks where my head was spinning, vomiting all over the damn place and heaving and heaving until you can't heave no more, if you know what I mean. So the truth of the matter is, is that taking some of these drugs, is it to really cleanse your body or to make you in a state where you can really do that soul searching 
Or is it really uh, terrifying yourself into a place where you see that survival, just a simple survival, is in front of your eyes, where you've done something to yourself so terrible that you just want to be able to live? Do we have to punish ourselves like that in order to wake up that we can find some type of purpose with our lives? Today's episode is sponsored by Rin10 Media. If you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own, you want to get in touch with Ren10 Media. When I first contacted them, Better Call Daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. And now, only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line, Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show.